Tonight, I just wanted to, uh, if you take your Bibles, actually, you can turn to John chapter 17. That's where we'll be first. But our vision and our theme for this year has been growth. Um, and uh, I, I read books about uh, different things. And one of my, I, I read books about church. And um, I also like to look at comics. I saw this, thought it was funny. Maybe no one else does. You probably can't even read that because I can't read it. So uh, the individual in the blues saying, uh, how can we grow the church and make our Sunday school class better? And uh, the suggestion he got was coffee. The second suggestion was more coffee, and the last suggestion was better coffee. So I don't know if that's what it is, but that's not what we're talking about tonight, though. We're not talking about how do we grow as a church, because uh, as a corporate church, I'm talking about individually, how do we grow? This year we encouraged, I've been encouraging you to read through your Bible, read it uh, through completely, memorize scripture. So kind of a test, how are you doing? Ask yourself, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but how are you doing on those things? As a church, we started growth groups as a way to, to really um, allow people to open up their, uh, their hearts a little bit and, and expose themselves to people in a spiritual way to guide people to grow together. And I think that's uh, been valuable, and I've had a number of people say that they've really appreciated that time. We've tried to look for other ways that we can grow, um, and that's what we've been looking at throughout the year, but really what it comes down to is, is not some method, it's not some uh, catchy thing, it's about you deciding to grow. I saw a church sign that I thought was interesting, it says, life has no remote, get up and change yourself, and I thought that was good. You know, we, we wait for some magic fix, and there isn't that magic fix necessarily, and so Tonight I want to talk to you about a term that some of you are familiar with, others of you maybe are not. It's the term progressive sanctification. I'll talk about what that means as we go through. But I just wanted to uh, go through the idea of growth again tonight. Why is progressive sanctification so important? When we talk about progressive sanctification, I could also say Christian growth or spiritual growth as well, and, and we'll get into what that means. But why is it so important? Well, first of all, growth is normal and expected part of life. Um, and I, I think all of you understand that. Um, we grow, we expect our kids to grow, we expect um, our plants to grow, we expect our, all of that. Growth is normal, but also spiritually, it should be a normal and expected part of life. There should be growth in you. You say, well, I've been a Christian for 60 years. Yes, there should still be obvious growth in your life happening over those uh, period of 60 years. Secondly, because the concept of progressive sanctification is not always emphasized as it should be. We're going to talk about this because I think it's not something that we always hear mentioned, and we should, and so we'll talk a little bit more about that. And thirdly, because progressive sanctification is not always proper, properly understood. What does it mean? Um, how many of you, I would say in here, probably majority of you have, but how many of you have heard of that term before? Okay, there's some that haven't, uh, and so it's good for us to talk about it. What is it? Uh, it's not really always understood. Sometimes we see progressive and we think that's a bad thing. Um, you know, but uh, not necessarily here. So next one is because the consequences are severe for those who do not grow. Uh, scripture talks about that. 
People who uh, have stopped growing spiritually are not glorifying God the way they should, which leads us to the last one, because spiritual growth glorifies God. So what exactly is progressive sanctification? Let's look at, first of all, some important definitions. First of all, what is sanctify? Sanctify means simply to set apart. Okay, we call this the sanctuary. It's the set-apart uh, place and where we uh, set this apart to, uh, as a place where we worship and glorify God. That does not mean that these pews, these seats are holy or that this carpet is any uh, better than the carpet in the other room. It does not mean that as soon as you walk into this room, suddenly you are touched with uh, something from God. That's not what it's saying. We're just saying that we're setting this apart. But sanctify in our own lives means to set ourselves apart for God. Notice what a couple passages, I had you turn to John chapter 17, but Jesus says, sanctify them uh, in the truth, your word is truth. Set them apart in the truth of God's word. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus died on the cross in order to set us apart, to have us be uh, set apart for something special, for something unique. Um, and uh, I remember one time when I, I was in uh, elementary school and the teacher was, was talking in class one day and uh, she was assigning things to people and, and she's going through the list of what everything needs to do and she looks at me and she says, uh, I want you to go off to the side because I have something special for you to do. Okay, and we're like, oh great, I mean I'm in trouble. No, it doesn't necessarily mean, but she was saying to me was, I am setting you apart for something special. That's the idea of sanctify, is to set apart. So what is progressive sanctification? It's the process of a believer growing and changing to be more like Jesus in both the inner and outer man. It's the process where we are, God has set us apart to do a task for Him, and it's progressively we need to grow to be more of what He wants us to be. It's basically spiritual growth. He says in, in 2 Peter, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. It's the grow in grace. Um, and I think that it's something that we probably all desire. I'm sure that if I was to ask you, you'd say yes, but it's something that it's hard. Progressive sanctification is saying, okay, I want to grow closer to that set-aside task that God wants me for my life. And that's progressive sanctification. Second thing we want to look at is what's the theological context of that? Uh, take your Bibles and look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1. First thing we want to notice about the theological context of this is progressive sanctification is preceded by justification, which is a positional sanctification. You say, uh, for some of you say, I get that. Some of you are saying, that's a lot of words. Like, define those for me. Like, describe what you're saying there. Okay, first of all, justification we'll get to in a minute, but uh, positional sanctification. If, if sanctification is saying we're set apart, um, now, I am set apart holy before God. Am I holy in everything I do? 
No, thank you. Ken's been around me long enough to know that's true. Okay, I'm not holy in everything I do. So uh, am I perfectly meeting what God had set me apart for? Not yet. Man, just have Ken come up here. Uh, no, not yet. I'm not yet there. Okay, but when I accept Christ as my Savior, positionally, He uh, sees me positionally in heaven. I am already completely sanctified. I'm already completely set apart. Why? And that's because of this term justification. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians. He says, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Saying, Because of what uh, God did for us, you become in Christ righteous, sanctified, redeemed. That means God is saying because of what Christ did, He looks down and He has declared you righteous. Justification is the judicial act whereby a sinner is declared righteous. And the righteousness of Christ is imputed to his or her account. Um, And it's a judicial term. It's a court term. Um, And it's the idea of the judge looking down and saying, okay, you've committed this crime but I'm going to declare you innocent. Well, but, you know, you are guilty. So how does he do that? Well, he takes all of your crimes and puts them on Christ. And it's, um, our, um, it's a judicial thing where God says you are now uh, free of that guilt. Um, that's, that's an amazing thought. That's that justification where we're declared righteous. So progressive sanctification, the process of growing to what God has called us to be, happens when we accept Christ as our Savior and He justifies us. A second aspect of that, progressive sanctification is dependent on our union with Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says, and I'm looking at a lot of passages, not having you turn to them, but they're on the screen there. Look what it says in John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I have a perfect illustration of this. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had a work day. And uh, we were working over at the house back here. And I mentioned this before, but there was a lot of uh, overgrowth. And so we were trying to clean it up because we're going to have it sided. And uh, so uh, when we began the project, um, I don't see any of them here. John Rockstro and Andrew Hines and Alex Mamatuk were telling me that the last time we had worked in that area, all three of them had gotten poison ivy. Well, I've never gotten poison ivy in my life, and so I thought, okay, sure. And uh, so I just went at it. My, and so we had this thing. Alex Mamatuk was there again. John Rockster was there. Pastor Nate and I. And uh, Dennis uh, Staten and um, Jan Murphy. All of us were working. I haven't talked to Dennis. Or, did Dennis get poison ivy? No. Um, and so we were going at it. If you look over the house, there was some vines going up the house. Well, maybe they were, that was what was the poison ivy. But I just started ripping and tearing. And uh, a few days later, uh, John Rockstro, he, I was talking to him. He said, oh, man, I got poison ivy all over my body. And I was like, I don't have any. And then I saw Alex Mamatuk a couple days later, and he pulled up his pant legs, and his legs were covered in poison ivy. And I, he's, I said, I don't have any. 
A couple days later, I was talking to Pastor Nate, and he's, he's in his office, and he has his arms like this. I'm like, did you get poison ivy? He's like, I've never gotten it before, but I think it is. And I said, I don't have any. And then the next day, I woke up, and I looked, and I went, oh, no. <laughs> and there's, there's poison ivy all over, all over my legs and my arms. But I went out yesterday to look at something, uh, to, uh, Friday, to look at the house that we, the middle house that uh, has been taken down. And I looked over to the other house, and the vines, uh, we were not able to get all the way up because some of them went all the way to the top of the second floor, and we weren't able to get up there, but you look up, and they're all dead now. Why? Because we killed what was at the bottom. And they were not able to have life anymore because what gave them life was the main, the main vine that went down into the ground and that source of life that came from the ground was what gave them life. And here in this passage, it's saying the same thing. You, progressive sanctification, growth in God is dependent upon our union in Christ. We're those vines up at the top. We're those branches up at the top that come out. And if, and if we're cut off from the main source, then guess what? We're going to die. And so we're not going to grow unless we're dependent on Christ. And that's what it says in this passage. Jesus says, I am the vine. You're the branches. If you abide in me, you're okay. If you decide to run off and do your own thing, guess what? You're not going to make it. Progressive sanctification is dependent on our union in Christ. Some people think, well, I can grow on my own. You can't. It's a process of saying, um, as I allow God to work in my life, I become what He always intended me to be, what He set me apart for. And that's important. Union in Christ is indwell, our indwelling relationship that a believer has in Christ. But not only is it, as you saw in that, it's not only our union in Christ, but it's also the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's telling us there that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit refers to the fact that the believer, if you're here you're in a believer, the believer, um, rather than the temple or the tabernacle, is the place for the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in the temple. And there is places where God talks about the Holy Spirit indwelling believers for certain tasks. Um, you remember where David said, take not your spirit from me. There wasn't the permanency that there is today, but uh, at the day of Pentecost, when God's Holy Spirit came down, we see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit taking place that allows us as believers to be the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and He lives in us, we allow Him to change us. Progressive sanctification is dependent on our, un- our union and dependency on Christ, but it's also dependent on our, uh, our indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Um, do, you lis- do we listen to Him? Do we hear ha- what He has to say? How does He speak to us? He speaks to us through the Word, uh, through uh, our, our conscience as we allow the Word to guide us. And so it's uh, dependent on our union in Christ and dwelling in the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing about the uh, theological context is the holy, or excuse me, the progressive sanctification is followed by glorification. Or another term for that is prospective sanctification. What does that mean? We haven't arrived yet. 
It's the final sanctification, the future sanctification. Uh, I love what it says in 1 John. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, we, when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. You know, I know, and I think Ken said it, uh, I haven't got there yet. But one day I will. And it's not because of my hard work. It's not because of anything like that. It's because I will have a different relationship with God. I'll be in His presence. And he talks about that there. It's a, the progressive sanctification will, will continue until that point of uh, glorification. Look what Romans says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This glory. I view sanctification as a, uh, as a story of a book. Um, uh, how many of you like to read mysteries? Okay. Um, when I was younger, I used to like to read The Hardy Boys. Any of you ever read The Hardy Boys when you were younger? Or anyone still read them now as adults? Um, okay. uh, I used to enjoy reading those. My son has some, and uh, he reads them once in a while. But... Uh, the Hardy Boys was about two brothers who would solve crimes in their town um, as teenagers. I don't know how that happens, but that's what they did. Okay? There would be times where I'd start reading the book, and I'd get you know, chapter 2, chapter 3, and I'd be like, oh, I want to know who did it. So what would I do? I would go to the last chapter, open it up, and read. Okay? I missed the whole middle part. Okay? We talk about sanctification... You know, the first chapter is that you were rescued. The first chapter of sanctification is that you were justified. You were rescued from uh, your sin. You were put into union with Christ through the transforming power of the gospel. You were given a new mission. You were given a new task. And God said, here's what I want you to do. And that sounds exciting. But then uh, the last part, the last chapter is God makes all things right by fulfilling His promises. And life is different. We're all changed. Okay, that's, that's the first chapter, that's the last chapter, but that middle chapter, that middle section is progressive sanctification. It's going from uh, here we are over here where we're completely lost and God has sanctified us, He's justified us, and now it's looking and seeing, okay, one day in the future I'm going to be there and I'm going to be what God wants me to be and all His promises will be fulfilled and no longer will I struggle with those things. And so what's in the middle is progressive sanctification, fulfilling the ministry God has given to me. Being a servant for God's kingdom. Furthering the cause of Christ for His glory. You see, that's what God wants us to do. All of Christian life is about that. It's, and so often we just get stopped here. You know, we, we've been justified. We've been sanctified. And we're good. One day Christ will come. But there's that middle ground. You know, we see that in Paul's epistles. The demonstration of the fact that he said it's not just enough to just be stopped here. We see in the book of Ephesians, if you were to read through Ephesians, we studied it a couple, uh, year or so ago, the first three chapters of Ephesians is all talking about your identity in Christ. That uh, you are dead in your sins, but Christ made you alive. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing theological discussion about your sin and the death of Christ and how that has changed you. But you know what the second half of Ephesians is about? You remember it if we, when you were here and we studied it. The second half is your obligation to Christ. 
That's progressive sanctification. It's saying it's not just enough, hey, God saved you, stop right there. He said, no, now it goes into how does that affect the way that you uh, think? How does that affect the way that you talk, you, you uh, interact with your family, your coworkers? Um, how does that interact with your, the way you interact with the world? And it's all about the way you live. Progressive sanctification. Romans also does that. Romans goes in a little more detail. Romans starts out with sin, and we're all in sin. Romans chapter 1 is just a powerful passage talking about uh, the sin of mankind. Um, and read through that if you haven't recently. And I, I, every once in a while I read that to remind myself of the, really the, the horrific wickedness of man. And Romans chapter 1 talks about that. And we get into Romans chapter 2 and he's talking about the arrogancy of, of the Jews and, and to think, well, we're okay though. And God said, no, you're not. You're all in sin. And we know Romans 3 talks about the fact that none of us are righteous. We're all sinners. And gets to then, okay, what's the solution? And he talks about Jesus Christ and he, that leads to sanctification. And then Romans... Uh, chapter 12 and beyond gets into, okay, what's the implication for us then? We'll look at the verse in a few moments, but what does Romans 12, 1 and 2 talk about? He says, be transformed. Allow that, all that knowledge that you know about how God has changed you, allow that to transform you into something different than what you are right now. And we see throughout Scripture this idea of progressive sanctification. We're not supposed to just say, oh, I'm satisfied with the fact that God saved me, but I need to grow and change. And so the question then comes about, okay, how do we do that? What are some steps to growth? And these are not like, uh, you know, the ten steps to um, perfection. These are just some, some suggestions. How do we do that? Uh, first one is, remember the role of the Holy Spirit. Take your Bibles and look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. What's interesting in, in Galatians and Ephesians, we'll look at Ephesians in a moment. In Galatians and Ephesians, he gets into the uh, the theological and how we're saved by faith in Galatians, justified by faith, not justified by works. He says in chapter 3, uh, we get into verse 10 and beyond, he starts talking about how uh, in verse 11 that the righteous shall live by faith. It's all about faith. And then he gets to uh, chapter 5 and he starts talking about the Spirit. And that we, in verse 16, we shall walk by the Spirit. Uh, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How are we sanctified? How do we uh, experience progressive sanctification? It's by walking in the Spirit. When you do that, you're no longer going to be controlled by your flesh. What does that mean? Okay, that means when I wake up tomorrow morning and my flesh says, I'm going to go back to bed, but I know that I need to get up, I need to spend time in God's Word before I come to work. Uh, so, you know... Uh, Julie's wondering where I'm at, you know, uh, get here eventually. But uh, uh, that's, that's the idea there. The desires of the flesh, look at verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. They're there. 
But if we live by the flesh, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are, and it lists these. Okay, if you're going to live by the flesh, here's what happens. Spiritual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, uh, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you. But then notice what it says in verse 22. But if we're controlled by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What is he saying? He's saying if we allow the Holy Spirit to have a part in our life, then the evidence is going to be a person who is progressively being set apart to what God has for you. And uh, we see the same thing if you look over in Ephesians chapter 5. Look there. Ephesians chapter 5. Again, we said the first three chapters of Ephesians, they're all about... The, the gospel and the mystery of the gospel and uh, uh, being saved by grace, not by works. And then we get to Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 18, and what does he say there? Don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be controlled by external, ex- uh, uh, external uh, sources. Be controlled by the Spirit. And when you do that, then he lists these things that will take place. Suddenly, you'll, your, your worship will be different. Your thanks will be different. You'll submit it to each other. Your home life will be different. And he lists all of these things. He goes through. You know, the steps to growth, first of all, is realizing the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, and that only happens when we get into his word. The second thing that we need to notice is that you need to understand that change must originate in the heart. Change must originate in the heart. Uh, we looked at this verse this morning, but in Matthew he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Why? Because notice what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He says there, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. But out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Uh, take your Bible and look at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 and uh, verse 16. We'll start there. Notice what it says, And he said, Jesus, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Great, great conversation right after dinner. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and it defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, thief, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. To eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Of course, it's talking about the uh, disciples and and uh, offending the uh, religious leaders and all that. But the point of what he's trying to make there is it's what comes out of the heart that defiles a person. It's, it's what's in your heart. And we have to understand how are we going to get to a point where we are, are growing and changing. It's, we, it, it must originate in the heart. Our passions for things must change. Our desires must change. 
for uh, what we used to enjoy and consume and what we love. So understand that change must originate in the heart. Next thing is uh, through prayer and study of the Word, identify specific areas that need to change the most. Um, look at your life and see what needs to change. I'm going to give you some, just uh, what that includes, but it's not limited to, first of all, your speech. Your speech. Look in your Bibles at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And as you're asking God, God, I want to I wanna grow, I want to change in you, then begins uh, asking God to point out specific areas. Um, because God will. Um, and because he, he does it with me all the time, I know that. Ephesians chapter 4, and starting in verse 25, and just notice how much he says specifically about our speech, having therefore put away falsehood. We talked about that this morning, lying. Uh, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, if we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not, that, that burst of anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Then notice verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion. It is it, that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, how many times in verse 31 he adds to that what that means, but how many times do we uh, allow things to come out of our mo- uh, mouths that are not building up, are not edifying to what's around us. And I know I, I find myself doing that sometimes and then having to apologize. But uh, as you spend time in God's Word and He shows you things and then desire to change. So speech is one way. Our actions or behavior is another. Take your Bibles and look at Colossians. You're in Ephesians. Colossians just a little bit over. Colossians chapter 3. Allowing God to, uh, as, as He shows you through His Word, areas that your actions and your behavior needs to change. Colossians 3.12, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven, so you also must forgive. I'm going to give you an example where this hit home with me recently. The very beginning of this says compassionate hearts. Um, I've been reading a book recently on um, how we as Christians need to be part of the counterculture. We need to be people that we're so different in the way that we think, that we love with compassion in a way that is unusual. Um, and God's been convicting me about that. And um, a couple weeks ago we had VBS and on Wednesday night during VBS, I was, uh, I was here and um, I was dropping my kids off and my wife and I were going to go on a date. We weren't working in VBS and so I said, we're going to go on a date. We don't get to do that much, so we're going to do that. And uh, Tim Barber uh, was here and he came to me and he said, uh, there's a guy here that wants to see a deacon. <laughs> and right away I knew what that meant. Some of you know what that means too. It was an individual that wanted money. And my first thought was, oh, brother, not this again. 
Now, we get that a lot here, and probably most of the time, it's not legitimate. And so it's hard sometimes to have compassion. And as I was walking out there, my first thought was, uh, sorry, buddy, but no. Um, And I sat down with him, and I began talking, and God began softening me towards him. And I, I found this, this odd desire to love him. <laughs> and, and I began talking to him, and he's like, I just need to speak to a deacon because I need some money. You know? and, and I realized that there was something greater there. And my wife is standing there. She's kind of going, okay, we're going to go on a date. And I, I said, can you give me a few minutes? And she said yes. And I began talking to him, and uh, ultimately I did give him some uh, some money, he needed something, long story. but uh, And then I began to just, um, are you okay? And uh, he said, started just unloading all of the problems of life. This, that, and the other thing. And I said to him, I said, you know, I can hand you money right now, but that is not going to do it. What you need is you need, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he kind of hemmed and hawed with me a little bit. Well, I don't know. Make excuses. And I, I, I said, I understand. I said, can I just share with you a few thoughts? And he said, sure. And so we talked for a little bit. And I said, do you mind if I pray with you? And he said, that'd be great. And we sat and we... And we prayed, and uh, we talked, and, and he got up, and I could tell, like, at that point, he didn't want to leave. He wanted to stay, but I wanted to leave. <laughs> so uh, we talked some more, but uh, finally he left, and I, I realized as I was doing that, I said, God, you did a work there, because that was not me, because that was not my desire right there. And I'm thankful that as, as God was using his word to penetrate my life, he was changing me in a way that was not easy for me to change. And God can do that as our actions and our behavior match our standing as a, as a set-apart Christian, as a set-apart child of God. So as we get into His Word, our speech, our action, our behavior, our thinking, and a part of that was my thinking too, but our thinking, Philippians chapter 4 says this, Finally, brothers... Whatsoever thing is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is our thought process? Are we changing it? Or are we changing our thought process through the Word and then our motivations? James says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fightings among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What is, it, what is he saying there? He's saying your, your motivations are wrong and so it's causing fights inside of you which is creating fights around you and quarrels around you. As we allow God's Word to change our speech, our actions, our thinking, our motivations, uh, we become more like Christ. Next, the fourth thing is that we need to then repent and ask forgiveness for God and from the appropriate people. In Proverbs, he says this, who... Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. He that confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. I'm thankful for that. We looked at this passage a few weeks ago, but he says if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled. 
with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Making sure that we repent, you know, repent of wrong situations, repent of wrong attitudes. Um, and uh, that's, that's uh, humility, but that's uh, allowing God to work. Um, and, uh, you know, it's so easy for us to just say, well, I was right, but not allowing God to show you where we're wrong. And then the next area is choose to mortify your uh, sin. Put it to death. Notice what Romans says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passion. Don't let sin have dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. And, and fight it. We'll talk about that more in a minute here. Replace your sinful ways of thinking and acting with godly alternatives. Um, and I mentioned this passage earlier. I'm kind of going quickly here. I want to get to the end part here. But he says, Do not be conformed to this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the put off, put on principle. Put off the, think, the wrong thinking, put on the right thinking. And how do we get that? We see that throughout Scripture. You know, we put off the wrong ways and we put on the right ways and we're replacing the sinful. You know, I, I saw that many times as a youth pastor where, where teens would be like, oh no, I know I shouldn't do this, but they don't replace it with right. We've got to replace it with the right things as Christians, replacing the wrong ways with the right ways. And then the next one is learn to practice the spiritual disciplines daily. Um, what is discipline? Discipline is hard work at times. Okay? Athletes, you know, it's not like every day they get up and say, I, I want to I work this long today on, on this one aspect. I'm tired. But they do. It's discipline. And spiritual disciplines sometimes are hard. Reading God's Word, praying. There are days where you're going to love it, and there's days where you're going to go, oh. But it's a discipline. Then seek to continue to glorify God and enjoy the blessing of following Him. Remember what, he said in Psalm, what David said in Psalm, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed the man who takes refuge in Him. Seek to glorify God and enjoy His blessings. The last thing I want to notice just real quickly here is what is the biblical change process? I have a little uh, uh, graphic here to show you, but there's a point in time that comes at the very beginning, the bottom, where you are justified. Where God has given you that positional sanctification and you are a child of God and you begin to grow. And a lot of times, that's really hard to see, so I'll say it. Uh, I thought it would look bigger on there, but there's a hunger for God's Word. You, you approach God's Word with a hunger and you begin to see growth and you begin to see excitement. And along the way, uh, a part of that is you learn truth and you're excited about the truth that you're reading. And I always love new Christians who come and they just have this excitement about it. And then along the way, you just begin to apply truth uh, and say, well, this is... This is, uh, I see this in God's Word, I need to change here, but somewhere along the way, what happens? Sin. You're going to sin. We get along, and sometimes we think, well, how good, I'm, I'm going good, I have no problems, and then sin comes along and goes, well, where did that come from? I never knew that was there. I thought I had taken care of that, and it comes along, and, and it just, man, it nails us down. It throws us down, and we don't know how to respond to it. And so we, we fall away, and, and uh, the Bible tells us in numerous places we need to have a contrite heart. We need to have a contrite mind. A confession where we come before God and say, God, I was wrong, 
You know, and somewhere along the way we do that. And as soon as we do that, God begins to allow us to grow again. We grow, and as we grow, we seek truth again. We seek as God is growing. And, and sometimes in that process, there is the, the hard stuff, that, that, that putting off and that putting on. Oh man, I was going well, but I sinned and I fell back down. Okay, I need to put off and put on. Uh, maybe you've heard the term before, but uh, we, we looked at this a couple weeks ago uh, with, with uh, the idea of adultery. And he says, if, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your arm offends you, cut it off. And the idea there is a radical amputation that takes place. Whatever is necessary to allow me to put off and to put on so I can grow. But you know, inevitably, somewhere along the way, other things creep in. Like maybe, for example, uh, excuse me, the next one was rejoice in truth. Maybe a trial comes along. Or a better way to put that is a misunderstanding of a trial. Um, the last few weeks have been very interesting for my family. Uh, we had, we've, and, and, I said to my wife just yesterday, I said, we really haven't a trial, we just had a lot of nuisances. You know what I mean? Just a lot of annoyances. Uh, and we had a, a vehicle problem that's still not resolved, uh, and uh, I had a tooth problem that is resolved, um, but uh, we had a, uh, one of our appliances at home uh, wasn't working, still isn't working, uh, you know, and just different things like that creep in, uh, and you just kind of, just nuisances. You're, and you're just kind of going, okay, Lord, why? And it's not that God, uh, that trial is unbearable. It's that I, at times we misunderstand why God allows those things to come into our life. Um, and it was just in the last few days that my wife and I have come to the realization that God has allowed those things to come into our life to strengthen our faith even more, to show us something about Him that we had forgotten. We had forgotten how powerful He was. And how good he was. And so as those truths come back to our mind, we, as we learn, we learn more truth about him. We go, oh man. You know, and I learned, I mean, when I was first saved as a kid, I knew God was powerful. But, you know, we go along and somewhere along the way it was like, okay, this is a different trial. Haven't seen this one before. And God reminds us of that truth. We maybe knew a long time ago, but it's, it's in a different way. We see it in a different way. And it causes us to grow and and we rejoice in that truth. I'm so thankful for what it has for us. And again, it's, it's just a reminder of who God is. Um, and as we look in His Word, we're reminded of, take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And the last verse went longer than I was expecting. But Hebrews chapter 12, that's the wrong verse. That was the last one. Sorry about that. It's on Hebrews chapter 12, though. Uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that he may not, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Who are we considering? It's Jesus. Look at verse 2. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You know, how does that process take place? How do we get... Uh, from way down at the bottom to way at the top. And it's not like, I think sometimes we think we get saved, whoop, there I am. And it's a ebb and flow of life that happens. And so we need to uh, remind ourselves of that and, and be thankful for that. Progression means that steps are taken along the way, but it's not instant perfection. And, uh, and some of you are at different places than others. Some people take longer than others. And... Uh, 
Sometimes it's like dealing with people, it's like, man, it's a slow process with you, but it's still a, it's still a progressive process. And, it, and that's what uh, progressive sanctification is about. It's growth. Uh, let's pray.